Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is called Knowing and Being Known, and it's based on the lectionary readings for Sunday, October 19, 2014. For the past week, I've been buried in boxes and bubble wrap, the detritus of a recent move. I know where the bath towels and spare light bulbs are now, but the rice cooker, the crock pot, my son's favorite hoodie, I have no clue. I should be an expert. We've moved a lot over the past ten years. But I still overstuff boxes, forget my address, and superstitiously scan my new neighborhood for signs. Was that a smile from the woman next door? Does the pink bicycle across the street mean the neighbors have a daughter too? Oh good, we're meant to move here. Oh no, wait, there's a huge spider in the laundry room. I just broke another wine glass and the post office isn't forwarding our mail. Maybe this move was a mistake. There's nothing like a transition to make me feel unsettled, vulnerable, and hungry for certainty. This week's Old Testament readings are all about transitions and their attendant anxieties. In the Exodus passage, God has just instructed Moses to leave his encampment at Mount Sinai and lead the Israelites into the Promised Land. Still smarting from the golden calf debacle, though, Moses isn't ready to budge. Show me your ways, he pleads with God. Show me your glory. What Moses wants is certainty specific knowledge about God's plans. What Moses gets, though, is something very different. I know you by name, God responds enigmatically, refusing to answer Moses' plea. In the Isaiah passage, God is speaking to Cyrus, the Persian king he has chosen to deliver the Israelites out of Babylonian captivity. I arm you, God declares to the anointed monarch, though you do not know me. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places. Why? so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Although Cyrus is a foreigner, ignorant of Yahweh, and unversed in the religion of God's people, God assures him that he is both known and chosen. He has a role to play in Israel's salvific history, whether he comprehends that history or not. Between the two readings, the words know and known appear nine times. The phrase, I know you by name, appears four times. Clearly, knowing and naming matter to God. As I read these ancient passages in light of the uncertainties I face in my own life, I'm challenged to consider where my security lies. Am I safe because I know God, or because God knows me? In the Exodus story, the Israelites' disastrous attempt to know God, to render Him in a form they can see, smell, touch, and control, has almost destroyed them. Of course, Moses is disgusted by the golden calf, but he too finds himself hungry for more concrete knowledge of God. If I have found favor in your sight, he prays, show me your ways so that I may know you. Reveal your plan, he begs God, your blueprint, your big picture. Hand over your GPS. I'd like to know where I'll end up if I follow you. I sympathize. I've prayed Moses' prayer many times. I've wanted God to show me his ways in the new cities I've moved to, the new friendships I've initiated, I've asked for certainty during periods of illness, loss, and grief. No more mystery, I've prayed. Show me your ways. But God dodges Moses' request, refusing to give him the specific knowledge he craves. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest, he promises instead. Is Moses satisfied? No. Show me your glory, he ventures next, with a cheeky boldness I love. If you're not going to satisfy me intellectually, then dazzle me emotionally. Overwhelm my senses with your fullness, your essence, your radiant, unmediated self. Then I'll know that you're with me. Then I'll be ready to journey. I've prayed this reckless prayer of Moses' too. 
show up, I've dared God, in times of fear and confusion. Stop being so mysterious and elusive. I want to see you, no matter what the cost. Moses' prayers, and mine, aren't exactly wrong. I think we please God when we desire to know him more deeply. What's wrong is a fear-based assumption that our well-being depends on how well we know God. I know you by name, God tells both Moses and Cyrus. The bottom line is, we can't bear to know God in his fullness, and that's okay. Our security lies in God's perfect and total knowledge of us, not in our patchy comprehension of him. Like most parents, my husband and I put a lot of thought into naming our children. We chose names that would reflect our heritage and convey our hopes for each child. In some cultures, the task of naming babies goes not to the expectant parents, but to older generations who better understand the family's history and legacy. If God knows me by name, then he knows my story, my heritage, my beginning and my end. If God knows me by name, he knows the very core of me. I love the tenderness with which God responds to Moses' zealous desire to see his glory. You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live, God explains gently. But I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Theologians have puzzled over God's backside for decades. I don't have any answers to the anthropomorphic mystery, but in a more symbolic sense, I think Moses' experience rings true to life. We have no ability to grasp the fullness of God, and so we live, however uneasily, with the necessity of mystery. I form light and create darkness. I make weal and create woe, God tells Cyrus. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, he reminds Moses. However much we might try to pin God down, he will elude us because he is God, sovereign and other. He will elude us because he knows what kind of damage we'd wreak with certitude and he eludes us for our own protection. But he doesn't leave us bereft. He covers us with his hand and allows us bearable glimpses of his glory, hints, intimations, traces. Like the wake of a ship on the sea, like the gorgeous afterglow of the setting sun, God reveals his glory in retrospect. Often it's when we look back that we see his hand, the sure pattern of his movements across the years, the circumstances, the arrivals and departures of our lives. Having faced transitions over and over again in my life, I know how natural it is to crave certainty. Like Moses, we want to know. But this week's reading suggests that God understands something much more elemental about our hearts. We want to be known. As the old theme song from the sitcom Cheers would have it, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Everybody probably won't know our names in this lifetime, but God will. God does. He knows each of us by name, and His perfect knowledge not ours, is enough. For books this week, we review Larry McMurtry's novel, The Last Kind Word Saloon. Larry McMurtry of Archer, Texas, has written some 50 books. This one is his first novel in five years. McMurtry is best known for his 1975 novel, Terms of Endearment, which was turned into a film that won five Academy Awards, his 1985 novel, Lonesome Dove, that won a Pulitzer Prize and was adapted into a television miniseries, and as co-writer of the screenplay for Brokeback Mountain, which won three Oscars. Then there's his collection of 400,000 books, which in 2012 he whittled down to a mere 200,000 after a massive sale. Like most of McMurtry's work, this novel is set in the 19th century Wild West 
and features Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, and other colorful characters like Buffalo Bill and Billy the Kid. The book is divided into 58 chapters in less than 200 pages. In McMurtry's historical fiction, these icons of the American imagination are demythologized. The buffalo are disappearing. The open plains are being consolidated into closed cattle ranches. There's a lot of card playing, salooning, whoring, and daydreaming about how to make money without working. Cowboy conversation rarely rises above verbal towel snapping. Sandstorms plague the great treeless plains. A stampede of 8,000 cattle from three different herds destroys everything in its path. The story begins in Longgrass, which is nearly in Kansas, but not quite. It's nearly in New Mexico, too, but not quite. Some have even suggested we might be in Texas. The action then moves to Denver, Mobidi in Texas, seven buildings in one tree, and finally Tombstone, Arizona, with the prosaic account of the shootout at the O.K. Corral. McMurtry describes his latest novel as, quote, a ballad in prose whose characters float in time. Their legends and their lives in history rarely match. In film, we review the 2014 movie Chef. Chef Carl Casper's life has flamed out. He's divorced from his gorgeous wife, Inez, played by Sofia Vergara, alienated from his 10-year-old son, Percy, and then canned by his boss, played by Dustin Hoffman, from his celebrity L.A. restaurant because he had the audacity to maintain his culinary integrity and cook food he cared about instead of old-school favorites. He doesn't even know what Twitter and Vine are, and by the time Percy explains a digital world to him, videos gone viral have also contributed to his demise. He reinvents himself in Miami with the food truck that does the classic road trip back to California. And from there, it's like a country western song. He gets his job back, his wife back, and his relationship with Percy back. This is a fun, feel-good comedy with some tender moments. And finally, our poem this week is Paul Lawrence Dunbar's We Wear the Mask. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts we smile, and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but, O oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but, O oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet, and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 19th, 2014. I'm Debbie Thomas.